Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told them the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Uncle Jill, Uncle Jill, there's no bad guy like Uncle Jill.
What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Cormier came out and he said Dana White will need more than money to convince Khabib to return. Okay, fine, I agree. And I do not know Khabib on the level of Daniel Cormier. If you get Daniel Cormier a teammate, team captain, a.k.a. where Khabib goes, I mean, right, you're getting inside information. I, what? Then what? If Dana White doesn't have anything more than an offer, it's a prize fight. Is it an opportunity? Is it a location? They built an arena for him twice now. By the way, I mean, I'm just sharing with you, like, that's happened twice now. What more can you do? I'm just wondering Daniel's question. What is it you suggest that we do? And there are answers to it. There are. But what are they? I, I, I feel like it's going to be begging. Just a, a general encouragement from society of asking to be, Khabib to come out and do something. By the way, it's probably going to have to be something that he hasn't already done. Unless we're going to change his mind, I feel as though Khabib has made it clear. Even indicative of his retirement speech right there in the octagon after the fight with Justin Gaethje, when he talked about Poirier and he talked with Connor, and he talked about he'd already beaten them just sounded like he was almost going, why would I do this? I've already done it. Errol Hawani had brought up as recently as two weeks ago that the greatest path, the greatest trajectory, in Ariel's opinion, for Khabib to return was for Tony to go out and smash Oliveira. And the reasoning for that by Ariel was Tony is one thing that Khabib hasn't done before. It's one thing that Khabib has told us that he would do, not once, twice, three, four, five times. And it's one thing that could intrigue him to come back. And Errol wasn't even predicting that he thought that that would do it. He was saying, without that element, I don't see a path. Now, Daniel's saying that it's not a money figure to bring him back. Okay, fine, I don't disagree with that, but then what is it? I mean, if we're just chasing our tail here, let's stop. The whole thing was meant to be out of respect. The whole thing where Dana did not strip Khabib or accept the relinquishment of the title wasn't to pressure Khabib. Dana didn't even have an offer for him. He didn't have anybody in mind for him. It was out of respect to, hey, you're, you're, you're possibly caught up in a moment. You were definitely coming off some emotional stuff with the loss of your father that I know about. Take a minute. I don't need that belt bat right now. Just take a minute. It was meant to be a kind thing. I'll tell you a story, though. When I'm talking to you about there's ways to get guys back, I've, I've seen guys come back that it wasn't for the money. Kale Sanderson. Amongst the great wrestlers of all time, the greatest college wrestler of all time. Gail Sanderson is the one who beat Daniel Cormier in the NCAA Finals to tie that in for you fight fans, but won the Olympic gold medal, walked away. And somewhere along the way, and Kale was being begged, Kale left the sport with the highest achievement of the Olympic gold medal, but he also left it way too soon. People wanted to see more. He had a lot more medals that he was going to grab, and they were all going to be gold. So he finally had some deal with his team. And I'm going back to 2011, so so getting it right is is a little bit tough. But he had a deal with his team, something along these lines. Kale went on to be the head coach of Penn State where he sits today. And it was something along the lines of, if you guys win the Nationals, I will wrestle again. And that just meant enter a tournament. I will, again, I'll put a single on, I'll go out there in some kind of a fashion. And he did that. Ran over some really tough guys. And the next thing you know, he pops into the world team trials, makes a world team after seven years on the sidelines, but it was through an encouragement. There was no money on that. There wasn't even fame. By example, when Kale popped into the trials, 
everybody knew he was there, but he goes every year to coach. They thought he was there coaching. He didn't tell anybody he was entering the tournament. Nobody. He just walks into the weigh-ins, strips down, and hands his registration card. I bring that to you because he wasn't even looking for attention. Not only was it not for money, it wasn't even for attention. There was something else that motivated Kale Sanderson. And all we've ever been told as an audience is that it was to honor a deal made to motivate his team that worked and they succeeded and he was man of his word. I don't dispute that's exactly what happened. I'm just reminding you guys that there are ways to get these greats back. They do come back. And it isn't always about money. Now, we just saw the opposite thing happen three weeks ago. Mike Tyson, a great, came back 100%. This is about the money. Okay, no problem. No problem. Whatever your motivation is, I just am questioning when Daniel says it's going to take more than money, does Daniel have an idea? I'm all ears. No judgment here. I'm all ears. Because what is Dana going to do? I mean, it's not just the money or the participation, but that largely, he's the boss. That's what bosses do. That's what makes them the boss. They control the purse string. That's why, look up the definition. That's what it is. Dana had made a comment. I've never got the answer to this, and I've always wondered. Do you guys recall this? It was right before, it was right before Khabib versus Gaethje. And all Dana said was, if Khabib wins this fight, we have something very fun planned for him. Or Dana said, we have very something very fun I'm going to offer him. And he never said what it was. And I was so curious. That's what, that's what in the business they will call a tease. But I was so curious, what, what could be fun? Like, there's nothing about the unified rules that's fun. There's no arenas that you can fill right now in terms of that different kind of a rush or a drive. He's currently fighting in an island that's a destination. Like, this looks pretty fun. As far as the word fun can go in the sport of combat, it looks like he's having fun, but that's not what Dana said. Dana said, I have something fun, and I've just been, I've been so curious, I don't know what it is. But I bring it up now because Daniel's saying it's not going to be money. I think Helwani made a fair point because it was in conjunction with what Khabib's been saying in terms of it's got to be something new. We aren't down to a whole lot of new players right now. Connor Poirier isn't new. Dan Hooker is new and Michael Chandler's new and I, I get it, Charles Olives is new. Is that new enough and fresh enough and intriguing enough for Khabib? I mean, I'm, stu- I'm stuck at what? If it's not going to be about the money, what are we doing it for? If it's not about the accomplishment, if it's not about the attention, we don't have any arenas we can sell out. And it brings us back to a different word. The one that Dana used. Fun. I got to know what that was. What was Dana going to offer him? I have no gripe with the rankings. I remember where I was when the rankings came out. The year was 2012. The network carrying the sport was Fox, and I had a level of participation over there. I don't bring that to you for any other reason than I remember being in what was called the Avocado Room. It's called the Avocado Room because it was painted the color of an avocado when they came in and revealed to Kenny Florian and I that they were going to have rankings and we were going to start discussing them on a weekly basis. I remember this because it was such a hot hand that the show's producers felt that they had that finally the sport of MMA is going to have an official ranking. 
which is not only going to be a form of recognition, but moreover, secretly, where the excitement was, is it was going to create a controversy. And now you're going to have talking points. And everybody who goes on TV in any kind of fashion, particularly in the sports world, has to have something to talk about. It was just this built-in mechanism, but I remember our producers being very excited about it, which is why I remember the year of 2012. I also come to you with that because I know what it was meant to do, which is the two things that I just elaborated on. It was supposed to give a level of recognition so there was some kind of clarity while being in conjunction and in line with other sports of which all were ranked. It was the first time being done, and it was guaranteed to create a level of controversy. I have no gripe about this. I was the first ever to shine my own wheels. To shine my own wheels, but in an attempt more to prove the point that I I like the ranking, I was the first ever athlete to be ranked simultaneously in the top 10 in two different weight classes. I had a ranking at light heavyweight and uh, at middleweight. I was the first and only to have, I was very proud of that. Apparently I'm still proud of it because I'm bringing it up, but I even remember when I was ranked in two weight classes, the naysayers and and detractors of Chael were trying to get me uh, pulled from one saying that wasn't fair. Who cares? Let that go. Over time, the rankings, like anything else, have unintended consequences, and now the fighters who are meant to be celebrated and recognized are using their ranking to get out of doing hard work. Chemayev, by example, finest example, most recent example. So you start to take a look at the rankings. And then the rankings did make some headway and headlines in 2020. It started when Khabib came out and said, I I ask one thing. Put me number one pound for pound when the rankings come out on Tuesday morning. When Khabib made that statement is when I learned that the rankings come out on Tuesday mornings. I've never confirmed that. I just trust it to be true, but you guys don't know it either. The reason is that's how fake these things are. That's how silly they are. We don't even know when they come out, let alone where to find them. And the greatest piece of information we have is a guy that barely speaks the language telling us post-fight while exhausted that they come out on Tuesday, and we all accept it as true. And it may be, but you understand my point. These are a very silly thing. Well, when Khabib said that, John Jones's competitive juices got going. He fired back, said, you know what, not so fast. Great career and congrats on your retirement. That's got nothing to do with coming over me. Now, I, I bring you that story to rehash it as a way of reminding you that the rankings have made great talk in 2020. Had it not been for the Khabib and John Jones back and forth, the rankings would live where they currently live, which is God knows where, and no one gives a goddamn because they don't matter and they aren't real. They do not have a direct impact on your placement on the card, which is the number one most important thing. They don't have a direct impact on how many eyeballs or t-shirts or uh, uh, bags of popcorn you can sell. They're just a number that apparently are or are not written down and released every Tuesday by 8 a.m. according to Khabib. But now that we take a closer look at the rankings and we have no idea who does them, we have the foggiest idea who sits down and does that or what team of group thought goes into it, or if it's like the former BCS in college football that they did away with because of the corruption and the inequity, and it's done by a computer for God's sake. We don't know. We don't know. But we know this. They came out today. The rankings, ha- you got to stay with me here, to understand how much this doesn't make sense. You must follow the wordplay that I'm about to use. This is going to confuse you. Conor McGregor debuted in the welterweight rankings. 
to debut in the rankings of a weight class that you're not in. And your last time competitively was exactly 30 days short of a year, which would remove you from eligibility for the rankings. To debut in the rankings of a weight class that you are not in, but you once were, it happened to be 10 months ago, it lasted for 40 seconds, but it happened. It happened. And you were not beyond the expiration of eligibility. To bring somebody into that weight class would be beyond, I mean, whose idea was that? With what thought pattern did they possibly use? But they can. They can because it hasn't been a full year. They put him at number 15 in the world. Connor is ranked number 15 in the world at welterweight. Okay. No argument, but save the thought. Because they also came out with a pound-for-pound list. Pound-for-pound, every weight, every athlete in the organization, which was totals 553. Not just 112 that are in the welterweight class. All 553 pound-for-pound. You get it. You know what pound-for-pound means. Conor McGregor's ranked number 12. The only other welterweight in the pound-for-pound is Kamara Usman, who's ranked number five. Let me reword this for you. The official rankings have Conor McGregor as the 15th best within his weight class, but the 12th best within the sport as a whole. The only other welterweight in the the rankings is Kamara at number five. It would seem as though if Kamara... Usman and Conor McGregor are the only two welterweights in the pound-for-pound, pound, which is the much greater coveted list. It is the one that Khabib and John Jones went to war of words over. Then they are obviously one and two within the division. No. No. The geniuses that do the ranking have Conor 15th in the division, but 12th overall. That is an impossible rationale to come up with. I am not here to pick apart whatever jobber got assigned with putting these out that doesn't put his name on them for very obvious reasons that he doesn't put a a lot of thought, and he shouldn't because they don't matter. I'm not here to do that. God bless him. Or whatever team gets together, but however long that meeting was, if that meeting was 20 minutes... Can we agree that they wasted 19? All right, let me chat with you guys for a minute. Let me tell you about BlueChew.com and why you're going to love it. BlueChew.com offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom. Look, you guys will take a pre-workout before you go to the gym, right? So why wouldn't you take an enhancement before hopping in the sack? Want to be better? Need to be better? Or hey, maybe you just want to kick it up a notch. At BlueChew.com, you can get the first chewables with the same active ingredients found in Viagra and Cialis. BlueChew.com, affiliated physicians work with you to find the dosage and active ingredient that is best for you. The chewables from BlueChew can be taken on a full or empty stomach. Online physician consultant is free, so it is cheaper than two of the other options, Viagra and Cialis. It only takes a few minutes to connect you with a BlueChew.com affiliated physician and if you are qualified to get you prescribed online 
quickly. No in-person doctor visit. No awkward conversations or waiting in line at a pharmacy. Ships directly to your door in discreet packaging. The chewables from BlueChew.com are made in the USA and your partner will love it. Chew it and do it. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code CHAIL. Just pay 5 bucks for shipping. That's BlueChew.com. B-L-U-E Chew.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. All right, we got closure. Askren is going to fight Jake Paul. Reportedly, after the fight, Jake Paul is then going to fight Dylan Dennis. Now, how would you ever look ahead? Well, in the world of Jake Paul, you can. I mean, by example, most fighters would have to win to even know that they're going to have another fight, let alone another big fight, let alone against Dylan Dennis. I don't know if that's true with Jake Paul. He's just looking for guys to fight. Because Jake Paul's, what, 2-1 and one now? 1, lost, 1. Didn't seem to make a bit of difference. I believe I have that order right. One lost one. Relevance being his, if I'm right and he lost his second fight and only had three, then that means coming off of a loss, he was still a co-main event of a Mike Tyson card where Duke Jack was on the card. So it just works. It just works for him. The rules don't necessarily apply and he go out of fight. Yes, he actually could line up Ben Askren followed by Dylan Downless regardless of result of Ben Askren have a meaningful fight that everybody would like to see with Dylan Dennis. But let's back up to the Askren. This one's a strange one for me, right? Anytime the MMA community turns on the MMA community, it's one of those weird ones for me. I can remember when Dana was getting ready to come back and make all of these rules, and he's going to move forward in a pandemic. Now, he's got a million precautions up, and it's going to be nearly an impossible task to carry out, but... This is what the plan is to do. And the MMA media turned on him. If the media had turned on him, if late night and, and this uh, John Oliver and Stephen Colbert want to go have some fun with Dana, it's a fair game. Have at it, fellas. When our own media turns on the industry, it's just this weird and baffling thing. And I only bring that to you because you can't trust your fellow brethren with an MMA. The kids on the underground forum are saying that Paul is going to knock Askren out. Now, let it go because that's what makes for an interesting fight. If we all know the outcome, nobody wants to see the fight. It's why John Jones can't draw flies. It's why Roy Jr. had a hard time. Roy Jones Jr., no matter how great he was, it wasn't fair to either of those athletes. It was just a reality for those athletes. So having the debate of who could win is a very good thing. I don't look to close the book on that. I look to st- speak to the stupidity that is that. You are very few times in your life going to meet anybody who knows anything about fighting, including people in the fight business. You'll meet people in the fight game that don't know a damn thing about the business. You will meet managers that really don't know anything about it. They're just pretty good with a fax machine and get some paperwork done. You will meet fellow fighters that will never know and will, will retire and die and look back on their sport and still not know what in the hell they're talking about. They'll throw out some terms like footwork and range and head movement and all of a sudden captivate a room because the room knows less than they know. I've never quite seen anything like it in my life aside, of course, from foreign policy. If you can throw out a few terms that happen around the world, not here within the States, the the whole rest of the room will go, here's a foreign policy expert. I mean, I've never quite seen a scam like it better in my life. But listen to what people are saying that believe Paul is going to beat Askren, okay? You have an Askren and Olympian. 
You have an Askren, a world champion in two different organizations in two different weight classes, a two-time NCAA champion recognized with the highest honors of the Hodge trophies. You have a real athlete who, by the way, took a knee the last time that you saw him from the BMF. So we're now left with the falling Ben Askren as opposed to the other 18 times that he went out there and did it perfectly. The Olympic teams, the two different NCAA seasons, the undefeated record, the Bellator champion, the 1FC champion. It's it's like it never happened. All right, I get how the game works. But your argument is that Paul, a YouTube sensation who went and trained hands for a few months, can somehow beat a lifelong world-class athlete who is going to go and train hands for a few months. I mean, do you see where your argument has massive problems? Your argument is that Paul, who is a legit tough guy, and I stand, I'm with you on that. Paul is a tough guy. Plays a nerd on YouTube. He's a tough guy, and he clearly works hard. He has some real skills. I agree with you. But you're now saying that a world-class athlete who's now going to go and do the same thing that he did, which is work on his hands for a few months. Do do you see the problem and and the foolishness in your thought? I was doing a show. Me, Houston Alexander, I'm name-dropped, a couple other guys. And it was called Sports Science. And sports science may or may not still be on television, but what it was, was they would really try to break down positions. So me, Houston, Alexander, two other MMA athletes, there was four of us. We go to a high school and we're up on a football field and they bring in an NFL running back. Now, us fighters know nothing about getting a ball from a guy, whatever this silliness is. But this is what the task is. The NFL running back is going to run past us, and the only thing we can do is strip the ball out of his hands. And they're going to talk about the force and the inertia and throw out some of these words, much like the fight expert and the foreign policy expert. Like, if you could just throw out some science terms like Newton's third law, inertia, as I just did, all of a sudden you're going to be this big physics expert that everybody's going to stand aside, right? It's just, it's one of these things. So they're going to do it. They made a TV show about it. None of that is relevant to my story aside from the location, which was at a high school. So when I'm at the school and I'm on my way out to the field, I'm with some, some known guy. We got this NFL running bang. We get, well, the high school kids came over. And they all wanted to talk. It was one of those things. The so next thing you know, you're, you're talking to this, this, this mob of high school students. I'll be damned if they weren't telling me the greatest fighter in the world was Kimbo Slice. Now, at that time, there was something called Elite XC. And that is where Kemba was fighting and headlining and drawing great numbers. But they were bringing him anybody. They were pretty goddamn sure Kimbo could knock down and knock out within a minute or less or the guy couldn't get the contract. I knew this, but I forgot I live so tr- close to the trees I can't see the forest. I assumed the whole world knew this. So when these guys are telling me how great Kemba is, and I'm going, well, you know, I think they were asking, well, who's the best fighter in the world? I think I was telling them BJ Penn. So this was like 2008, 2007. So I remember saying, well, you know, I think this guy named BJ Penn, I think he's overall the best. Oh, no, you're crazy. It's Kimbo Slice. And I kind of laughed, and then I started, I started realizing they were serious. And I said, well, you know, Kimbo's fighting. To, and they go, I just saw him knock a guy out in 40 seconds. He did it Saturday night. CBS, Kimbo's the best. BJ's last fight went all 15 minutes. It was one of these things. We go, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I didn't... I, 
Okay, I'm with kids, I get that, but I forget nobody knows what in the hell they're talking about when it comes to fighting, including fighters. Why would random high school kids in San Rancho, California, why would I possibly think that they would know? And so then I'd just band to agree with them. Yeah, you know, he's, Kimbo sure got powerful hands. You know, I left. But I remember that moment. Because I remember thinking at the time, the promoters that were putting on Kimbo, how are you going to draw? Everybody knows he's fighting bums. No, they don't. No, they don't. Only the guys that know what they're talking about know that he's fighting bums. To the rest of the world, he's knocking guys out in a main event on Saturday night on CBS. And it worked. The whole thing worked. But I can't help but think of that moment when you're telling me how great Paul is. Paul is going to beat an Olympian. A two-time NCAA Division I champion. A Bellator undefeated world champion. A 1FC undefeated world champion who had five bad seconds in his entire career. Never lost a round, let alone a fight. Had over two different weight classes. Hit five bad seconds. But a YouTuber is going to be... And what do we have as evidence? That he beat the holy hell out of a guy who won a slam dunk contest when I was in junior high. That is the evidence that we have. Do we see the problem with the thinking? I'm not going to win you over, and you're not going to win me over. These guys are going to have to go fight, and one of them is going to so one of us is going to say, "I told you so." But do you see the problem with the rationale of the greatest athletes in the world couldn't win a round of combat against Ben Askren, but he's going to lose to Jake Paul because Jake Paul beat up a slam dunk contest champion. Guys, there's never been a time to be a fight fan. Like right now. now I, and I've made that statement many times, but I have a feeling you guys have too. We have been treated over the last decades, and all fair, it goes back to about 2000, but we have been treated in ways that we were never treated prior. Right? I mean, I can go back to 2000 if you want to. There was two organizations in the world. One was called the UFC. One was called Pride. Dana White did not exist yet. 2000, not 2001. 2000, Dana White doesn't exist yet. Very relevant. UFC, who's struggling and barely hanging on, and they're doing six events a year, and as fans, boy, we counted down the days to those events. Then the Pride organization, which was in Japan, was doing five events a year. So almost once a month, you were guaranteed a show, which was pretty damn good. Pretty damn good for those standards. But Dana gets involved. 2001 grows the thing. 2005, they transfer over. I'm talking to the UFC specifically to 11 shows a year. Just them. Just them. They went from 11 to 20-something to 30-something, and now they do 52 shows a year. As a matter of fact, two years ago, the UFC alone held 53 shows in a 52-week calendar year. Then you got Scott Coker coming on the back of that. He's putting out 20-some products. I mean, we're, we're loaded up. But not only are we loaded up with the punches and the kicks inside of a cage, which is the way we prefer to watch mixed martial arts, boxing's done a great job. They're still ran by knuckleheads. They're still doing, as far as an organization goes, they're still a disaster they always were. But I'm saying they've done a great job of putting out products. Social media has helped to make guys known. We want to see guys we know. We don't just need to see somebody get punched in the mouth. We need to know why. Why does this other guy want to punch him in the mouth? And they're doing a good job of telling their stories. Right? They've had some help. Technology, they've had some help. I have a feeling we're going to make this statement a few more times. That's what I'm trying to share for you. I, I don't suggest for you that we're at its peak right now. I suggest we're at the peak in the history right now. But that we're going to get even better. Uniqueness of today, of this very time, 
December 23rd, 2020. Let's go ahead and document what today is, okay? The uniqueness of this is there is no title fights booked. However, we know they're coming. We even know who the participants are. We just don't have the dates. I don't know if there has ever been a time. People want to say there's never been a time where a title fight isn't booked. That could be true, not a stat I'm going to check. Let's accept it as true. I would argue back there's never been a time that we have more title fights, even though they aren't booked. We at least know who the players are going into 2021. I'll tell you what matches I most want to see as it pertains to a bell. Masvidal, Colby Covington. Yes, guys. Yes, I'm not letting it go. Masvidal's a champion. I watched him win it. I watched him win it. I always get a pushback from you guys. Why do you say when you want to see a championship battle, you want to see George Masvidal? Because he's a champion. I was there. I saw this happen. Nobody's beaten him, which means he's still the champion. Nobody's beaten him for the belt, which means he's still the champion. So I'm putting Masvidal and Colby Covington, the fight that must happen. And argue... You ever hear people say, or find yourself saying, well, this makes sense. Or you'll say, well, this doesn't make any sense. Right? You hear that word, sense. Nobody takes the time to elaborate on what it is. But it's a word that we hear. It's a word that we use. It's a word that we've accepted for when it comes to fight bookings. Fair? Okay. You want to talk about sense? There is no fight that makes more sense. There is no fight that has made more sense in 14 months. But for some reason, it's not here. There is no fight in any division with any storyline, any competitive ranking, any interest by the pundits, the fans, and the fighters of promotion that makes more sense, that has more to it, none, zero, nothing, than right here. Masvidal, Covington, put the belt up. That's the that, what I'm looking forward to the most. Stipe versus Jones, yeah, I'm being a dick. I'm being a dick. Because I didn't say Francis, right? It's not that I'm not interested in Stipe Francis. It's not at all. It's that I have seen Stipe and Francis, okay? I'm into Stipe Francis part two. But I had to come up with three. My three I'm looking forward to the most. I'm very curious in Stipe versus Jones moreover than Jones versus Francis. And I will tell you why, and it's a simple reason. We are going to see John Jones and Francis Ngannou. That's going to happen. That's going to happen in 2021. We are not guaranteed to see John Jones and Stipe. If Stipe gets beat by Francis, we are not guaranteed to ever, not as a guarantee, see Jones versus Stipe. Still very possible, not a lock. Stipe beats Francis, we're going to see Stipe and Jones. We will see Jones versus Francis, and we're going to see it in the next 12 months. So because this is a harder route to get us a guarantee of, and I think the X's and O's are a little bit more intriguing. Stipe Jones is my number two. And then I've got Usman Burns. Usman Burns, I will concede for you, is not the biggest title fight that we've got. It's not going to be bigger, by example, in terms of anticipation by you guys, than Adesanya versus Blahovic. But Usman, who can't seem to get his due, taking on a former teammate, a lot of the same storylines as the one I said makes the absolute most sense, just to use that word, a lot of the same storylines, and nobody deserves it more than Burns. I was very happy on a human level when Burns got the nod, because Burns deserved it, but deserve doesn't have a whole lot to do with anything in this sport. 
You get what it is you take. And once you take it, they can never get it back from you. Burns deserves it. Burns should be fighting for the belt. Period. I think Burns has won seven in a row. I don't even know. Does that even matter? His last two fights were against world champions. He didn't lose a single round. Burns deserves a shot. So I'm happy that that's going to happen. And not to mention that one marinated. I don't know what's going on there. I've talked to Burns. I've talked to Usman. They don't owe me the truth. If they are, 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 are injured or ill, they do not owe it to me to share with me. But I have asked them that. Hey, you're not feeling good. What's going on? Why is this fight delayed? Man, I feel great. I don't know why this fight's delayed. I assume it's on him. Oh, okay. I'm going to call him. Bye. Call the other guy. Hey, what's going on? Man, I feel great. I don't know why this fight hasn't happened. I thought something was up with him. I only share that with you. Something's holding that one back. It's coming. It's not going to be taken from us. It's coming. It's coming soon. But it's the right fight. And of my top three, there's what they are and why. I'd love to hear from you. Anthony Pettis signs with the PFL. First off, congratulations to Pettis. It sounds like it sounds like where he's where he wants to be. I had an experience I was coming through high school, 1995. And being I wanted to stay in state, two schools in state, Oregon State, University of Oregon, wrestling programs. Visited both of them. And one of the big things, if you're a recruit and you're in that spot, is the money. What are we talking scholarship wise? What are we talking about here? And then you got to compare those two, and maybe that'll make you like one more than the other. But it's, it's possibly the whole thing. It's a, it, it's definitely a big part of it. I remember coming through, and uh, Coach Steiner was in charge of the recruiting. He was the assistant coach under Joe Wells, and Coach Steiner said, "Well, let us know if this is where you want to be. Once you let us know if this is where you want to be." Then we'll talk about the money. But we, want, we, we, we don't want the money to influence your decision. We want you to see yourself as a fit here. You come in here, then we'll tell you what we can give you. Well, that just wasn't going to work for, for, for my father, for myself. We had we to know up, up front. So I talked to some other guys, and that's how Oregon State was recruiting. They were all told the same thing. They all did the same thing. Nobody was told what their offer was going to be. We're going to give you an offer. You're going to get some money. We want you on the team. We're not going to tell you what it is till you tell us this is where you want to be. I've just never heard of that since. I've never heard of it before or since. I bring it to you because Pettis is in that spot of where do you want to be? We're not going to do a back and forth. You're not going to be influenced by big shiny trinkets. As you look at different organizations, which one feels to you like the place you want to be. The same words Coach Steiner said to me, and I haven't heard in over 20 years, but I couldn't help but have this feeling when I'm reading about this with Anthony Pettis because I, if I was to guess, Pettis was going to stay right where he was. Won his last two fights, which is very good for his free market value, possibly the only thing that uh, makes sure he has a value on the free market. Juxtapose that with what we saw with Anderson Silva. He had lost his last fight. Harder to fight at home, just by example. But Pettis had a great call-out. Called out Tony Ferguson, looked like, okay, there's something for him to do, and there's something for him to do here. There was also a strong belief that he would end up over in Bellator for no other reason than that's where his brother's at. Okay. Not a ton of evidence, but this is all the evidence we have, and he ends up in the PFL. Now, one of the reasons I was light on the PFL, I like many of their moves they're doing. I don't want to sound against the PFL. For many of the athletes that go that route, though, the question is, what do I do once I sign? 
And that seems to be an answer that the PFL is struggling to answer. They have Verdum, by the way, who just signed. But there's no opponent to face, at least not yet. There's not even a rumor. Generally, when a guy has a strong value to an organization, it is not a long-term play. It is tonight. I am going to sign him. I'm going to get my money back tonight. Anything that happens after this, I'm going to cover my spread. Now, I'm designing and and explaining a perfect world for you, and this is a very imperfect business. But that would generally be the play, and the only answer that I personally could see out there, or at least an answer that I could personally see, happened to be in one. One FC, something never discussed, and it was Eddie Alvarez. Bring him in right away. Get your money back. Here's a fight. Everyone's going to want to see it. Off you go. Whatever happens... After that, we'll, we'll deal with that direction. But it's a lot tougher job for that of a promoter to bring somebody in from scratch. You don't have anybody for them to face. You do not have a big match that anybody is asking for. You're not even dangling a match. I mean, most promoters would dangle. They would, have, they would slip it to the media, thinking about going in this direction. They would post on the underground forum under a make-believe name. They do all sorts of things to test the appetite of the market and build a little momentum and then go... None of those things are happening for Verdum, for Anthony Pettis. They're now releasing Kayla Harrison to go fight all over town. I'm not putting the PFL down. I'm sharing with you why this surprised me, and now that it has happened, it happened in record time. What is the plan? Generally, when I'm coming to you guys with a Anthony Pettis just signed a statement, I am going to tell you a who, what, when, why, and where. All I currently have is the with PFL. I don't know when he's fighting, if they're fighting, what weight class he's fighting, what the options are. I just don't have any part of the story, which makes things very tough for a promotion. Let's see what they do. But for Pettis to look at this, do this in record time, not go back and forth, not to play the game, there must have been something very beautiful and something very attractive, perhaps something that I don't know about. Something is not wrong, and I don't suggest for you that it is a miss because I don't know it. Me saying I don't know what Anthony Pettis is isn't a way of saying there's nothing for him to do. That's not what I mean at all. I, but I don't know. Do you? Do you guys have any ramblings? So you walk right in against Lance Palmer. Is that a fight that anybody even wants to see? Is that a fight that Lance has ever called? I mean, just by example, what in the hell is there for him to do over there? I trust there's an answer. I'm asking a question. What is it? You're listening to Your Welcome with Jail Sonnen. You own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Now back to your welcome with Chael Sonnen. All right, guys. So let's back up to Sunday. Submission Underground 19. Championship was on the line. Mason takes on Ishii. Bader seeks redemption over Rumble and gets it. Craig Jones returns over Proud. I, mean, I could go on and on. Amanda becomes the first ever women's champion. Like this, this was a real night, right? Kevin Casey and Checo finally settled their business. You work on down the car. Sunshine gets upset. One of the first matches of the evening. Like this was just a crazy night from my perspective. I had fun. Uh, I, 
A lot of you like Sug. I have a passion for Sug. Okay, so it's just a little different. So, but I like to bring you in on what I went through. Sometimes I'm like a kid at a candy store at these things, right? This is just a good time for me. Okay, we get done with Submission Underground. Now, what that consists of, and you must understand for Submission Underground, we have two venues set up at all times. We have two cages, two camera crews, two satellites, two productions to deal with anything that could happen at the last minute in terms of a change in structure or rules for a municipality. One of these things, you got to be prepared. So it's double expense, it's a double cost, it's a double effort to get one product. It's what it is. So when the night ends Sunday, our year ends, we are done. Now I understand the year is only a matter of days away, but we're still done for the year. And closing out a year does come with some, some significant differences. In this particular case, one of them was to do away with one of the venues. For information we're getting from a governor's office, which is the location in the municipality of the other venue. Fine. But we tear the set down. And, I mean, we tear it down. This is the traveling circus to the highest of level. We throw up the tent, we pop the popcorn, you put up the cage and the light, you tear it all down and you sweep it up at the end of the night. It's on a truck, on a trailer, and you are headed to the next town. We do all of those things. Get a phone call. Dana, I want a submission underground, another one this year. Okay. Now, you have to understand, and I'm sure you guys do, if somebody says year to you, that means in the next 365 days. Like, year is one of those words. It's one of those words. Ah, yeah, I want it this year. Okay, I have, I have 12 months. No, that's not the way Dana meant it. He meant in 2020. I, I don't have 12 months, guys. I have 10 days. I don't have a venue because I just tore it down. Okay, there's only one answer when Dana calls. There's only one answer. Yes, you don't say yes, you, don't, you, you might not get another call. And the number one policy in the UFC, and in all fairness, this is the number one policy in Bellator, but I will make it exclusively to the UFC because I'm dealing with Dana. The number one policy, and it's probably not what you guys think, it, it's not have a profit. It's not be on time. It's not have a good attitude. Those are all on the list. They're, they're all top. T- the number one cultural policy at the UFC is do say. You do whatever you say you are going to do. Number one. You would be stunned how many mistakes you can make over there. Have a job to come back tomorrow. You don't do what you say you're going to do. Oh, it's... Point that I'm trying to make. When I say the word yes, it is game on. So... I got to start beating the phone. We got to call everybody back. We got to, I'm talking, there's things that go into a show. It seems very simple. You sit here, you talk to a camera, you get up and go home. Well, no, 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 no. That camera's got a name. Somebody sets that camera up. Somebody brings, that microphone has a name. Somebody brings in the microphone. I only share for you. Lights, camera, action. A lot of phone calls, a lot of moving parts. End of the year, holiday. Everybody was paid out and told, you're done. Get everything lined back up get everything lined back up within 24 hours we will rebuilding the venue get the venue set up you still and you got a card going on simultaneously what is going to happen 
And what had happened in the last one is it turns out Ryan Bader is awesome. And Ryan Bader is one of these guys from a personal perspective. Okay, that's Ryan. For me, for Chip, that's Ryan. When I'm with him and people come up and they want his picture and autograph, it's like, Ryan? He treats me the same. I mean, it's the same way with me. Chael? It's the same way. But when you know a guy from way back when, and then all of a sudden he becomes a star, he's not a star to you. He's, that's Ryan, right? That's just a, a, a lowly, dirty grappler from the Pac-10, just like me. I share this with you because he goes on and has this crazy level of success. He wins a world championship. In the process of winning the world championship, he beats Fedor Emelianenko at Fedor's own game. Ryan Bader does not go out and tackle Fedor. He goes out and trades with Fedor and puts him down. I'm just sharing. It's one of these things where he wins a world championship and you go, well, you know, you, you had a good moment. You had a good run. He goes to a different weight class. He wins another world championship. Well, all of a sudden you're sitting back and going, hey, this whole, you know, good old Ryan, he just, you know, he went out there and had a good run. You don't stumble your way into a world championship in all fairness. But even if you want to be the guy that knows a guy from way back when and so you chalk it up, you don't win two. I mean, you just, you don't win two. Guys, I had big goals. I think you guys would give me that. I tried hard, and I had big goals, and I put myself in a good app. I never even had a goddamn goal to win two world championships. Why would I want to win two? Two world championships at two different weight classes at the same time. Why would I want to do that? How are you going to do that? I mean, right, there's a level of success that, that is following Ryan Bader that can't be denied, yet we still deny it at times. And maybe it's just me. I still deny it at times. So he's going to go out there with Rumble Johnson. Bader's going to have some good moments, and he's going to get a little bit closer, and he's going to lose... To Rumble Johnson. That is how this is going to go. No, not so fast. Turns out Bader's really good at grappling. In beating Rumble and coming in as the sitting reigning world champions, the people on the rankings committee move Bader to number one contender. Well, that means Bader's got to take on Mason, a match he's not likely to win, for pay that he's not likely going to do anything. It's not going to impress Ryan Bader, I will tell you that much. We're not going to get Bader. You just made a number one contender out of a guy who we can't get. Great. The politics of the business, fine. Come back, tell the people what happened, and the number two guy is going to get a crack at Mason. We call up Bader because you have to, so he can tell us no and we can move on. He says, yeah, I'll be there. I looked down at my phone. I thought I, I thought maybe I misdialed. I know a lot of Ryans. I thought maybe I misdialed their player. It said Ryan Bader. So I played it calm. I said, all right, Bader, so you'll, you'll, you'll take on Mason for the championship uh, next Wednesday, December 30th? Like, I re-say everything to him, thinking he must have not heard something right. He's like, yeah, I, I actually talked to Coker yesterday. He watched my match. He, he loved it. Him and Kogan are pretty big fans of this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'll be out there. Is it the uh, same airline? Is that okay? I go, yeah, yeah, same airline's okay. So he goes, uh... He goes, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting my main training in with C.B. Dalloway. And you guys know C.B. Dalloway from, from the Ultimate Fighter, from the UFC, right? Everybody knows C.B. But I know C.B. He was in the Pac-10. He was teammates with Bader. They went to Arizona State. Oh, by the way, C.B. Dalloway was an NCAA All-American, and he might have even done it twice. I might have to look a little closer at his resume. Bader did it twice, and I believe C.B. Uh, did it once. He might have done it twice. Point being, C.B. is another one of these nasty 
nasty, decorated guys, anyone, anywhere, anytime. And he says, well, can you get CB a match? And I said, man, it's no problem, but Dana specifically wants a star-studded cast, which means I got to put him against a hammer. And he's like, yeah, that's great. Just get us both a ticket. Like blows, blows right past that part. And we never start, we never, not one time did we discuss anything. I'm going, man, who are these guys? I've known these guys forever, but I didn't know these guys were straight up badasses. I knew they were good at what they do. I didn't know they were bad. You, you, it's a badass that will take a match on five days' notice and not care who it is. So Bader not only has done that, he knows who it is, and he knows he's favored to lose. Didn't flinch at all. Not even a little bit. Bring CB in. I don't tell them anything other than you're getting dealt from the bottom of the deck. Yeah, okay. All right, great. So I hang up the phone, call my buddy Ryan. I go, hey, man, these guys are in. Who do we have available for Dollaway? And he goes, I, I just hung up the phone with Boogeyman. He goes, that's the only spot that's open is Boogie. I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to talk to CB. Like, Bader just agreed to anything for his boy. But CB's not going to agree to this on five days' notice with having never done this rule set. So I call CB Dollaway. It was like talking to Bader. He changed the topic on me so fast. Hey, CB. Hey, it's Chael. Matches next Wednesday. You got Boogeyman. You in for that? He says, and I quote, sure. He any good? That's exactly what he, and I said, yeah, man, he's, he, he's awfully good. He said, how's your family doing? He changed it. We never spoke of it again. I said, man, my family's good. You know, how's your family doing? We never spoke of it again. So I only share this with you because guys, in, in, in my life and this, this little joy of, 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 of being involved and having the top grappling promotion, I'm having fun, right? I'm, I'm living my dream a little bit, but there's headaches to the highest of levels. And the number one one is dealing with competitors who don't want to compete. When I get on a phone call with Bader and then CB Dalloway, who I've known for years, and they turn out to come as advertised, they turn out to be straight badasses that do not care what the odds makers say or what the rules are. They want an opportunity to compete. I feel as though I owe it to them to tell you the story. And in hindsight, as I'm looking back at Ryan Bader, and I'm surprised that Bader took a match that Vegas right now has him a two and a half dog to lose. He's the sitting heavyweight world champion who's supposed to get beat during the holidays for no damn reason at all. I'm in all fairness. As I look at that and I was surprised at first, and then I start thinking back to his career, a heavyweight All-American, a 97 pound All-American got in the cage, knocked out Fedor with Fedor. Why? Of course, Ryan Bader said yes. What the hell have I been on? Uh, I've been underestimated Ryan Bader. Of course, Ryan Bader. Of course he said yes. Apparently that's what he does. And CB is cut from the same cloth. Oh, by the way, did I mention for you? The man. The biggest star in all of grappling. Craig Jones is coming back. Now, Craig Jones is on a mission for one thing, which is to rid the sport of Mason Fowler and take his championship back. Period. You can't have a conversation with Craig Jones without at some point either Mason, the championship, what do I have to do, road back coming up? Can't happen. You could see him in person. You could pass him at the, uh, you could pass him in the lobby at the hotel. You can jump on a phone. It, at some point, that's going to come up. 
Ishii, Olympic champion who just took on Mason Sunday for the championship, went into overtime. It turned out to be a really great match of a star-studded affair, and Ishii hasn't competed in a period of time. I don't expect that to have been the best Ishii, in all fairness. It's a damn good Ishii, but in all fairness, he's still a human being. Just because you're the Olympic champion doesn't mean that other human things, such as rust, such as lack of experience, such as the pressures of being in a main event title match, don't apply to you. They do apply to you. So that Ishii that we saw take on Mason, who was very good, I do not believe to be the best Ishii. Ishii is the guy that's available. Craig Jones is the biggest star in the sport. Ishii is willing to put up the accolades of an Olympic championship. Craig Jones is willing to give him the rub and let him take on the star's biggest, uh, sports biggest star. It's one of these things where when you have extremely short notice, you're either not going to get the guys that you want or they're going to play a game and try to turn the gun on you, which would have pissed me off. It would have pissed me off. They would have got it. I have a job to do, right? Do say. I told Dana, yeah, it's yes. I'm getting this done. Short term. Long term would have been a bad idea for those guys. Real bad. They'd taken this out on me. I'd have taken, believe me, they'd have gotten a payback. But they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Craig Jones is going to finish the holiday, get on a plane, and be right back here. Ishii was planning to go home for the holiday, change his plane. He's getting right back here. So let me break this down for you guys one time. One more time. Wednesday, December 30th, end of the year, the only event left this year anywhere in grappling, the only combat left anywhere, Submission Underground 20, the championship is on the line, the Bellator heavyweight champion of the world, Ryan Bader, will take on the Submission Underground absolute champion, Mason Fowler. Craig Jones, the biggest star in the sport, will take on Olympic champion Ishii. C.B. Dalloway, All-American, Ultimate Fighter, UFC veteran, will take on the boogeyman, Richie Martinez. There is more matches coming. There's another big match coming. Gabe Gonzaga is going to be half of it. I will tell you who his opponent is soon. UFC Fight Pass, Submission Underground, Wednesday. Wednesday. Got to mark that down, 6 p.m. Eastern. See you all soon. Guys, talk of the town this week has been Colby Covington, George Masvidal, and I'm part of that talk. I I find myself talking about whether it's to you guys or I'm in private conversation, I'm getting text messages just from friends that are fans. What's going on with Colby and George? I I don't know of a fight that is more obvious that needs to be booked. I have not heard from Masvidal. And I mean in the media, Colby's been pretty vocal this week. Colby said he doesn't want to do the fight. Colby even suggested put us on the ultimate fighter. Which, by the way, by the way, is a fantastic idea. But we haven't heard from Masvidal aside from rumor. But the rumor is these boys are going to be fighting by March. The rumor has always been Colby versus Masvidal is either going to happen in February or it's going to happen in March. All the way supported, okay, all the way supported by an idea that Errol Hawani shared on ESPN a month and a half ago. A month and a half ago is how long this has been. That they were going to be in a co-main event position, but they were going to make it five rounds. It would be the first non-title fight co-main event that was five rounds. I have no 
evidence to you that this is accurate. I am sharing with you and attempting to prove a point that this is the conversation that won't go away. This fight has to happen. I'm a little bit lost. Let's try to get a hold of Colby. Let's see if we can get an update. Call Colby Covington. All right, we got a crapshoot here. Hello? Colby Chael. Yeah, what's going on? Well, first off, happy holidays. I got to tell you, man, it, you have been the talk of the town. You and Masvidal is about the hottest topic going around the entire sports world right now. What is going on there, man? Is that fight happening? And if not, what in the hell is holding it up? You know, I hope it. I hope it's happening. You know, last I heard from Dana and the UFC, they said they're going to make it happen. You know, I've been on it since day one, Chael. Since, since I fought Tyron Woodley and ended his career and left him out on a stretcher, I agreed to fight Masvidal in September. You know, it's clear who wants to fight. You know, it's clear who doesn't want to fight. You know, and there's probably a reason he doesn't want to fight me. He's experienced this before. So this is the easiest paycheck of my life. This is free money. He's not even as good as Tyrell Woodley. Tyrell Woodley's an actual world champion, not a BMF. If, if this guy... Street Juice Masvidal was such a BMF, such a bad motherfucker, he wouldn't be running. He wouldn't be dodging fights. So, you know, the only reason this is getting held up is because of Street Juice Masvidal. All right. Hey, I appreciate you, buddy. I'm sorry to catch you off guard like this. I'm making a show. I'm actually recording you. I hope that's cool. (laughs) Anytime for you, Uncle Tim. I appreciate you. Talk to you, Kobe. Bye. Uh, Okay, guys, what do you want to make from that? You want to know what I wanted to ask? I felt like he was in a hurry, and I feel like when you do that to a guy and you record him and then you tell him at the end, I mean, there's something, there's a, that's a little bit underhanded. I don't think it's, to, I've known him since he was nine years old, I, but it's a little bit underhanded to not tell a guy. But here's what I would have asked him. Here's why I let that call go. The BMF title is important for me. It's important for me that that title is up on the line because I believe it and I recognize it to be a true championship. I not only recognize it and believe it to be a true championship, but it's something that provides opportunity within a sport where there is very limited opportunity. I'm an Olympic guy in terms of being a fan. I just love the Olympics. I love the opening ceremonies. I love how they bring their nations together. They throw political correctness out. They say, no, it's us against you. I'm going to cheer for you. I'm going to boo for you. And the second it's over, everybody shakes hands and walks away another four years. I love the spirit of the games. I will share with you the things that makes the game special is also what's so damn awful about the games. It's the same thing, which is there's no opportunity. Every four years? Come on. That's just not a lot of opportunity. And I bring that to you because within our sport, if you can put another belt up, I love it. By the way, they did. By the way, Mosvidal's never lost it. Masvidal is the BMF champion. And a lot of you back me up on this. And a lot of you go, oh, it's marketing. It's all marketing. What's that got to do with it? You don't want something because it's Mark. I want it. And the other boys want it. And Masvidal's got it. Masvidal needs to be respected for it. Masvidal is a champion. And it's just important to me that that belt goes back up. And I don't even mind that he fought Usman and the belt wasn't up. I think that makes it more of a game. And if we're calling it Mark, I don't care what you call it. I don't care if I have to defer back to professional wrestling, which instantly turns everybody off. But in all fairness, there's a reason that we did tune in as kids. And that reason was that belt. Rick Flair, many times, as the heavyweight champion, lost. 
but it was a non-title match. I mean, th- these things happen. As soon as I said pro wrestling, I lost you guys, right? As soon as I said pro wrestling. But it's also the only frame of reference that I have that has something along these lines where it does have to be contracted that this title is on the line. Otherwise, it's not. So when Masvidal fought Usman and got beat, but it was a non-title match, wasn't for the title. It stays with Masvidal. Next time Masvidal fights, if it is not for a greater prize, in the case of Usman being the undisputed championship, then the title is on the line, in my opinion. Am I making too much of this? I'll let it go at some point. I promise you guys, I will let it go at some point. But I don't want to let it go right now. Oh, and by the way, Colby is a BMF. The BMF title is around the BMF. For sure. But there's some other guys that want to take it, and that's what sport is about. That fight has to happen. I feel so confident in telling you guys that fight is going to happen. Not to mention if you heard Colby right there. Colby's a smart son of a bitch. And if he didn't think he had the Masvidal fight, he wanted to just burn 30 seconds with me. He'd have, moved, he'd have said, Masvidal turned it down, but guess who said, and he would have moved right on to Chimaev. He would have moved right on to Nate Diaz. He would have skipped over it. He's very smart at what he's doing. I would put Colby as far as he is a master of what he's doing. So the fact that all he'll talk about is Masvidal tells me he knows something that I think we know too. I don't think it's a secret. I think Colby is fighting Masvidal. I think all that we need is a date. Cheeto Vera, Sean O'Malley, these boys just can't get it right. I mean, this is oil and water, and this is one of these that just isn't going to go away. And you know what? They don't generally go this way. I mean, a lot of times here, let's back up to their fight. Sean O'Malley, huge star, coming in, undefeated. Cheeto Vera on a pretty good roll, but definitely not a star of the level of Sean O'Malley in terms of notoriety. Sean was the, the favorite. But in this sport, a lot of perception is reality, as you guys know. So when Cheeto won, it goes down as an upset, but it actually went down as a pretty big upset. And it was one of these upsets where Sean Stock didn't budge. Sean, Sean Stock did not move even a little bit because he got hurt in the fight. So there was always this default mechanism of, well, yeah, you lost, but but here's why, and that was unexpected, and it goes away. That's good news for Sean, not to mention Sean plays everything right. Came right out, taking shots at, at Cheeto Vera, moved on to another opponent, push train. Like, Sean just does everything right. He's, he's just one of these guys where it's just going to work out. It It's just going to work out for Sean. Sean's going to have a good life. What do you call it? A charmed life. Okay. But the other side for Cheeto was Cheeto got a major bounce here, and people tried to take away from his victory for the same reasons they didn't mind Sean's loss, which was the injury. They tried to take away and said, well, yeah, you beat him, but he had a bad leg. Now, the reason that's very unfair is Cheeto manned up and walked out there as a 3-1 to underdog. How would you like to be stuck in a steel cage with Sean O'Malley? Just start with that. How would you like to be stuck in a steel cage with Sean O'Malley for up to 15 minutes? How would you like to be stuck in a steel cage with Sean O'Malley half naked and the entire world watching? Okay, Cheeto did all of these things. Cheeto jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire and didn't flinch and found a way to win. He absolutely gets his full credit. He does. He should Cheeto gets signed up, has another match. He's going to go right into Jose Aldo. Now, that's probably the one that he's really going to need to bounce him into another dimension within this sport. All the while, 
Cheeto and Sean just will not quit bickering. And it's one of these things where Sean, who will remain as of press time right now, a bigger star, even though he lost, he is the bigger star of the two. Sean has never actually said he wants a rematch. He's actually never even tried to get a rematch. He is more than happy to move on and let Cheeto move on. He just would like it noted for the record that he hurt his foot and that's why Cheeto won. But it's very interesting because every now and then you will have guys like this and they'll hug it out at the end and it's actually a bonding moment. It's one of these things. Like, I have one of these to personalize with Michael Bisping. I beat Michael Bisping. We worked together. How are you going to work together after you beat a guy up? Well, because a lot of people thought he won the fight. It just wasn't the judges. So it always kept us real even. Right? Like, I go, hey, Michael, I beat you. And Michael could go, eh... I got screwed against you. Like, it's just one of those things. So we're just even. It's never affected our, our friendship or relation. There's no alpha off when we're together. It's just one of these things. And it was an opportunity where that Cheeto and O'Malley could have done the same thing. They elected to go the other way. They elected to go the other way with it and absolutely become enemies and despise each other. And I bring this entire topic to you because the kids on the underground had a question. Very simple question. Should Sean O'Malley get a rematch with Cheeto Vera? And I didn't like the wording of the question because it presupposes that somebody is taking that from him. I think the correct question would be, does Sean O'Malley want a rematch with Cheeto? Because Sean's in a very interesting spot where he did not lose any ground. None. People have forgot it happened. He's referenced the match every time he's had an opportunity and his clicks and the attack, it's going crazy. He's gaining steam in defeat. So I don't know how much Sean even wants a rematch. Sean wouldn't mind it. I mean, I can, I can speak for Sean when I tell you he's not scared of it. They offer him the rematch. He'll take it. That's not the question. Question the kids on the underground asked is, should he get one? Which presupposes that somebody's holding him back from that opportunity. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think it's what's happening at all. I think they both just went on their own path or are just going to continue to hate one another. And eventually, someday, perhaps, it may not be unless there's a title on the line that, that Sean Shelby even has an interest in rematching them. I don't know. I'm speaking way out of turn here. I don't know. But I do sense that there's no phenomenon out there pushing to get these guys back together. It's one of these interesting things. They needed each other. And maybe more so Cheeto uh, Vera needed Sean. But they don't really need each other anymore. There's, there's getting headlines talking about each other with no match coming up or even rumors of a rematch coming up. It's one of these very weird purgatory type situations. The unicorn that only comes around once every blue moon. Unicorn and blue moon, Vince. Do you think I do I need any other adages? Do you think? Have I proved my point that this is rare? Yes. It's rare! Everything Sugar Sean does is rare. It's just one of these things. Meanwhile, while I'm reading about this, I see that Megan Anderson and Amanda Nunes do have their match rescheduled. Now, guys, upset alert. Upset alert. And I am not predicting you an upset. I am giving you an alert. If you are a gamer, if you like to handicap the action, Megan is currently plus 1,000. Megan Anderson can go with Amanda Nunes in the stand-up. Keep that in mind. She can go with her. 
Many people are saying, based on resumes, she can beat her in the stand-up. But I would only remind you that Amanda Nunes's takedowns, while they aren't bad, are not some kind of George St. Pierre where she can just swipe you off her feet any damn time she chooses. It's not like that. She's mainly a stand-up fighter, and so if you tell me somebody can beat her at the stand-up, which is mainly what she does, you have my attention. I'm not suggesting for you, okay, that Megan's the one that's going to go in and dethrone her. I am telling you straight up, Megan can give her problems in the stand-up, which is where the better part of this contest is going to be contested. This is one of those matches that you should not take your eye off of, and moreover, Amanda should not take her eye off of. I don't suggest he is. But we have seen this, and we've seen it as recently as the past 12 months. I will insert for you John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. We did not know going into that fight that this young and hungry and undefeated Reyes, I mean, he only had 11 fights. Yeah, he was undefeated. One of them was against a world champion, Chris White, but we didn't know Reyes was as good as he was. I mean, Reyes is, Reyes is fantastic. He's fantastic. He fought for the world championship twice this year. He's the only 205-pounder to fight for the world championship twice this year. Which means in many ways, he starred the division. In many ways, Dominic Reyes was the most successful 205-pounder this year because he fought for the championship twice and no other 205-pounder can say that. I only bring that to you because every now and then there's one of these nights that you can dismiss and you think that's never going to happen. I can't believe you're bringing up and it's done. You go, oh my God, you were right. How did I not know this was going to happen? Megan and Amanda is not likely to be a long, drawn-out, back-and-forth battle. Whatever happens in the first round, whoever wins the first round wins that fight. I get it. So I'm not going to hold on to this all night long. But when those ladies get in there, if Megan gives her problems in the first round, you're going to see problems in the next four rounds. Megan is big and strong and long, and she knows how to kickbox. Amanda knows how to get inside, she's powerful as hell, and she's mean. She is going to be on you trying to do damage every second until that referee tells her to stop. It's a good match. Plus 1,000? No. No. This, it's a closer match than that. Mark my words on that one. I took issue with something Daniel Cormier had said a couple of days ago. He was talking with Ariel on ESPN. He simply said that Dana is going to need more than money to get Khabib back. And the reason I took issue is, well, offer for us what that could be. Daniel did. Daniel did just that. Went back, talking to Errol Hawani, ESPN, and he simply says, and he said, I'm speculating. He said, I'm friends with Khabib, but I just don't talk this stuff with him. I just don't. But I will speculate for you. The only thing to get him back would be George St. Pierre. Okay. Even though I was summarizing, I'm going to call that a quote because stop. Daniel's done talking. This is now me. I don't want you to attach that to Daniel. That's what Daniel said. But let's break that down a little bit closer. Because he did not say that Khabib will come back for George St. Pierre. Don't misinterpret that. He said he would not come back for anything but George St. Pierre. And that's different. That is a different statement. And I also happen to think Daniel's right. I also never asked Khabib this question. I also think that that's what it needs. I think it has to be something drastically different. 
I think Khabib was very clear with us, even in his brief words, when he referenced Poirier and Connor saying, what would be the point? I already beat both of those guys. I think that that matters to Khabib. I don't think that he's terribly interested in rematches. I think Daniel is spot on when he said, this isn't going to be a cash grab, and this isn't going to be about fame. It's going to have to be something else. I don't know how likely we are to get Khabib back. I'm just bringing for you, that would be the something else. And George St. Pierre has been crystal clear. Crystal. That it has to be Khabib. It has to be for the world championship. Not a super fight, not a payday, not a sold out arena. Khabib, title, or don't call me. Now, what has been very interesting is the night that Khabib retired, many people, myself included, instantly did interviews with George St. Pierre. You guys may recall it. If you don't, it's on the YouTube page and you can find it. But it was within 20 minutes of Khabib retiring because Khabib's retirement directly affects George St. Pierre's career. Because George was only going to come back for Khabib, oh, and by the way, George had done test cuts with his weight. George trains twice a day, every single day. Only day he takes off is Sunday. This includes vacation. George has a great life. George has a family. He's with them all the time. He takes them places. He lines up workouts. It doesn't matter if he's Zimbabwe, in Zimbabwe, which is a place George likes to go. Likes to go into the jungle and look at tigers and whatnot. He lines up workouts when he's there. When I tell you he trains twice a day, every day, this is a man of discipline. I'll give you a George St. Pierre story real fast. The first of every month, January 1st, February 1st, March 1st, first day of every month for five days, George goes on a distilled water diet, which means he fasts for five days a month, every month, and drinks nothing but distilled water. I don't know the reference, uh, the relevance of distilled But I'm sharing with you that example because this is a man of great discipline. His life is extremely structured and it's extremely structured around mixed martial arts and training and preparation thereof. But he doesn't have a fight and he's made it clear he's not ever going to have a fight unless it is with Khabib Nurmagomedov. And by the way, that's why we spoke to him when the fight was over. Because Khabib saying I'm retired ends any chance or hope of George coming back. George has not stopped training. Twice a day, every day. While maintaining his weight and continuing the first of every month to do a five-day distilled water fast. So something is going on. Something on some level is going on. Does that, does that turn into fruition where it plays it safe, uh, itself out? Because, guys, in many ways, I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself this question. In many ways, George St. Pierre versus Khabib makes no sense. In many ways, George St. Pierre versus Khabib makes perfect sense, right? In many ways. And that is the fight. That is the fight. I have used a term a couple of times as of late. The biggest fight that the industry could make. And I'm right on that. But the biggest fight the entire industry could make, right this second, is Israel Adesanya versus John Jones. I would have to take that back 
if you could get Khabib with George St. Pierre. And at the time that I made the statement of Adesanya versus Jones would be the dream fight, would be the biggest fight, would be is because we were absent Khabib, which meant we were absent George St. Pierre. Now, I don't think that they're both back to the table just because Daniel Cormier made this statement, but I do think that Daniel Cormier is completely right, which is also in line with something Errol Hawani had speculated to me a couple of weeks ago on Errol the Bad Guy, which is uh, Tony right before Tony fought Oliveira. If Tony does not beat Oliveira and, and destroy, look great doing it, do it handily, we are never going to see Khabib again. And Errol was not predicting that Khabib would come back to fight Tony if Tony looked good. He was predicting that Khabib will not come back to fight anybody unless it's Tony after Tony beating Oliveira and looking good. I think that Errol was right, but that was in the absence of the idea of the greatest of all time. You want to be the greatest of all time? Real simple. Beat George St. Pierre. They will put you as the greatest of all time. Particularly if you do it at 155 pounds. Right. I mean, if George went up to light heavyweight and took on Blahovich, it, it, different deal. You see the problem. But if you're going into George's wheelhouse and you're going even deeper and more into it and you get the jump, the, the conversation's over. And nobody's going to take it from you. And I don't know that there's anything that you could ever say that about with anybody. There's always going to be a debate. There's always going to be a back and forth. You could have got LeBron and Jordan to play a game of pig thinking you were going to settle the debate and then people are going to come out and say, no, the best was Colby or they're going to go back to the Wilt Chamberlain days. They're just always going to have a way to do it. There was some way that we could actually do a combine and test Elway against Montana to figure out who the true great quarterback ever was. Somebody would have just said, no, it's Steve Young. I mean, it's one of those things. If you get Khabib and George together and Khabib gets the jump on George, we're all done talking. Is there anything else that we could say that about? I have no evidence that that fight is going on. I have a fact for you that Khabib is the sitting world champion. Regardless of what he said, until that is taken back and accepted, he is the sitting world champion. And I have an absolute fact for you that George St. Pierre has kept his weight within striking distance of title weight of 155 and is training twice a day, every day but Sunday. You do what you want with that information. Guys, recap. Recap TJ Dillashaw, Uriah Favor. Look, TJ's return is eminent. I don't know if anyone has returned ever with this kind of steam. I mean, TJ's making headlines everywhere. He's getting called out everywhere. Every report you hear on TJ from his teammates, from Archuleta, from Cub Swanson, by example, man, it's rave reviews. Those guys are saying quietly, not in interviews, not to build them quietly, privately. When you talk to the TJ's never looked better. They are saying that, that he's never been hungry, he's never been more disciplined, he's never been to practice so early and stayed so late. I mean, everything you hear about TJ Dillashaw, not to mention, I don't think TJ went out with the level of steam that he's coming back with, and he went out as a main event debuting on ESPN. I mean, he went out pretty goddamn hot. I think he's hotter now. He's being called out from guys all over the division. He's doing interviews with reporters all over the place. And he doesn't even have a fight announcement. We just know that he's eligible for license in 27 days. So if I was to make a prediction, not a hope, not who does I hope TJ fight, if I was to make a prediction of who he's going to fight, it's the same prediction. Who I think he's going to fight and who I hope he fights, it's the same Uriah Faber. But let me give you the background, okay? 
case any of you have forgot or any of you are brand new, there is a story here which is real simple. Uriah Faber has a gem called Alpha Male. TJ Dillashaw starts his career. Day one, he's at Alpha Male. TJ goes on, captures a world championship over Henan Burrell, which at that time went down as the biggest upset in UFC history based upon the odds. TJ was a seven and a half to one underdog, and I don't think TJ lost a round. He dominated this fight. He do- and I'd have to go back and look. The only- you know what? I can't remember, guys. I can't remember the very first round. But I largely don't remember it because I largely wasn't interested because TJ was going to get smoked. But then TJ, I mean, he picked, this ended up not being a competitive fight. TJ kicked his ass and becomes world champion in accomplishing the biggest upset in sports, in this sport's history at that time. I believe Holly Holm, the night she knocked out Ronda, was actually an eight to one dog. I believe that Holly now has that record. Don't quote me on the second part. At the time TJ becomes world champion, he is with Alpha Male. He trained with Alpha Male. They got him to the highest levels, got him to a championship fight. Oh, by the way, they got the championship. That is their guy. Dillashaw. Great. Relevant to the story, though, because at some point over the course of Alpha Male, they bring in a new head coach. They bring in a new head coach named Dwayne Ludwig. And Dwayne and TJ hit it off. I mean, these guys get along great. And I think that Dwayne was in the corner of the night TJ won the world championship. I believe that Dwayne was credited with that world championship. But it's very relevant because uh, Coach Ludwig had a falling out with something over there. Whether that was with Uriah, whether that was with the gym, whether that was the city of Sacramento. Like something with his time there didn't work and he wanted to go back home to Colorado. And he did. He did. And TJ went with him. And that's where the problem began. That's where, hey, that was unloyal began. And TJ's looking at it going... That's my coach. I can stay here with the team or I can go with my coach. I'm going to be unloyal somewhere. You guys brought him in. You trusted him to teach us. I trusted you that he was the right guy. So I bonded and latched on and gave him the opportunity to show that he was. And it turned out you guys were right. He was the right guy. Very tough spot for TJ. So then TJ even hedged. I want to tell this story for TJ because TJ came out of this thing like the skunk at the garden party. And I think if you take a closer look and you're fair and objective, you may not have that conclusion. So TJ hedges and goes, here's what I'm going to do. This is my home. Talk about Sacramento. I'm going to get a place in Colorado. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do some training with, with Coach Ludwig. He's going to corner me. But I'm going to come and live back here. Now, I don't know how TJ divided that time. I would imagine. TJ's one of these guys that trains all year. He doesn't go into a training camp. He trains all year long. So most likely when it was the official camp phase, which is roughly eight weeks before a fight, he jetted out to Colorado, did his real serious, intense, strategic training with Coach Ludwig, and then the rest of his life went in the alpha male room and got his workouts, making sure he was staying within striking distance and keeping his weight down and staying sharp prior to the camp where he went and polished up. I think I'm right on that. I think I'm really close, if not spot on. Point being, he hedged, and he told everybody up front, there was nothing behind the scenes, nobody behind the back, no deal over here and a different deal here. He told everybody. And the reason I know that is I was one of the people told, and this was as a viewer, 
as a viewer watching through the media, I was given all of the information because TJ disclosed it. And TJ never got credit for that. They even called him a snake. One thing TJ was not was a snake. He didn't. He did nothing slippery. He backstabbed nobody. You may have liked the answer, but TJ gave you the answer. Save that thought. Save that thought because the villain in the story is also not Uriah, who did have his feelings hurt about it and goes, "Look, I brought in Dwayne. I had a problem with Dwayne. You need to back me and my pro- not go with him. Not my only champion packs up and goes with the guy that I just had an issue with. So now you meet Dwayne Ludwig. He's about the nicest guy you're going to run across." But these guys are still all mad. I mean, they're everybody's mad at everybody, so what's going to happen? Then you have the Ultimate Fighter. Ultimate Fighter was relevant because Uriah Faber was coaching opposite Conor McGregor. TJ was one of Uriah's coaches, and Conor started the fight between the entire team and TJ. Conor is the one that kept telling Uriah. Cameras would be rolling, but he wouldn't be. He, Conor would pull Uriah aside and say, hey, that guy's a snake. How could you possibly trust him? You make him a champion and he leaves you? Then you bring him on your team like you could try you can't trust him. So Connor's the one that got this whole thing going, right? Like this master puppeteer. But I'm did and Uriah didn't go for it. Uriah goes, no, man, he's he's not. He's none of those things. That's my boy. It's okay. It's okay. Uriah defended him. It was one of these things that just kept going. And then once Connor spoke up, then some, some of Uriah's other teammates started speaking up, going, hey, you know, Uriah, I actually agree with Connor here. This, this is a bunch of crap. You pick one. Have your foot in two different ponds. So they put a lot of pressure. TJ starts feeling unwelcome in Sacramento and goes, guys, I get it, but I can't train under those conditions. I'm out. I'm staying in Colorado. Boom. Now you got a big problem. Now TJ's not hedging anymore. He's full on. He's the enemy. Let's go after him. By the way, Alpha Male has two, three contenders in that weight class that weren't going to take on TJ because TJ was their teammate. They go, hey, screw that. Line up the match. I mean, it ended up happening. Cody Garbrandt's one of those guys. But this is the backstory on it. And this is one of these things that's just not going to go away. And when you have the return of Uriah Faber, I mean, Uriah Faber retired for a minute there. The fact that he's back. You have the suspension being completed in 27 days of T.J. Dillashaw. He's going to be back. You can't keep these guys apart. Not to mention, they don't want to be apart. Those guys don't want to not fight. They want to fight. And you have to understand, they know who's going to win. I don't know who that is. But they know. They trained together every single day. Better part of a decade? Seven years, eight years, every day they fought. Every they know who's gonna win. Whoever that is not doesn't care. Does not care because he knows in the process whether he gets his hand raised or not, he's gonna get his licks in, and that's all he wants. And you don't have fights like that. You don't have stories like that. You don't have grudges like that. Not to mention they both matter in the division. You get a jump on TJ, a former world champion. It matters. You get a jump on Uriah Faber, the biggest star the weight class has ever seen. Many weight classes, by the way. 145 and below has never had a... And you got to couple them all together because they were all brought in, right? All called the lighter weights. They were all brought in together. Never anybody move a needle like Uriah Faber did. I find it very compelling that they know who's going to win, which means they know who's not. And whichever one is in the not pile is showing up anyway. Because he knows he may not do enough to win over the judges. 
but he knows he's going to get his shots in. And that's true. Those, those guys are going to bludgeon each other. One is going to do it more than the either. Interesting match. It's a match that has to happen. There's no other word. Has. Not we want, not we like, not could. It has to happen. All right, guys, good place to call it. I appreciate you all. I have enjoyed you all, and I will talk to you all next Wednesday. Same Chael time, same Chael channel. Until then, I'm Chael, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Guys, do you need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yes, free. No subscription. No fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge watch. You're going to binge shows. You're going to be up to speed on the latest news. You're going to catch live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. This week on Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski, Peyton Manning. This is Ron Jaworski. Today I am joined by legendary quarterback Peyton Manning. You know, in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz had a run of like four years of playing terrific quarterback, and all of a sudden he gets benched. How surprised are you by that? It's probably a good year if there aren't many fans allowed at Philly Stadium when you were <laughs> You're right about uh, that. Have you ever given thought about possibly becoming an NFL owner or a general manager of an NFL team? I've always envisioned you in that role. Yeah, Josh, I mean, I keep looking for that $3 billion, but I can't <laughs> find it. It must, be in a, it must be in another account that I'm not aware of. So, hey, uh, I got a C-note well, in my pocket. I'll, I'll invest. <laughs> Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, we'll form a group. Download new episodes of Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski every Wednesday and Friday on Podcast One and all your favorite podcasting platforms.